Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. In this episode, I'm joined by Eddie Johnson, the former U.S. national team forward, who these days is a skills development coach in Orlando. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Onward! Our guest today is Eddie Johnson. Eddie had a 15-year playing career with clubs in MLS and in Europe, and he scored 19 goals and 63 appearances for the U.S. men's national team. He retired from playing in 2015 at age 31 due to a heart ailment. These days, he's working in Orlando as a skills development coach, including for U.S. star Christian Pulisic, also Kyle Laren, Justin Miram, and soon-to-be Dom Dwyer and Sidney LaRue. Eddie, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Grant. It's been a while. It has been a while. I, I remember the first time I covered you, I came to Dallas back in, I think it was 2005, when uh, you were doing really well there and scoring goals for the national team and... We had a nice lunch and did it for a story in Sports Illustrated. Good 13 years later to be still talking to you. And soccer world, it's small. It's very small, very, very small. <laughs> Lots to talk about, but I wanted to start by asking you about what I see you posting regularly on social media these days, your work as a skills development coach. What's the story of how you got into it? Right. So long story short, uh, when I retired in 2015, I moved back to Florida, uh, where I was originally from. Um, didn't, didn't, didn't move back to, you know, Palm Coast, but I was trying to move back to Orlando because I knew I wanted to stay involved in soccer. And I knew they had the whole Orlando City franchise there. And I was going to try and just, you know, kind of use my name, my experience, kind of you know, find what it was that I still wanted to do as far as, you know, still being involved. And uh, I knew I always wanted to get into coaching. Uh, but a good friend of mine, um, you know, you know, I grew up playing soccer with him in Florida. Uh, he said, you know, before you get into coaching, you know, you might want to start training kids first just to see if you kind of like it. He goes, because, you know, the whole coaching thing is completely different than playing, you know, just because you're, he's like, don't take this the wrong way. Just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're going to be a coach. You know, start training and then if you like it, you know, um, because during training you can kind of find you know, how you interact with different individuals, how and different individuals need to be pushed, uh, and, and et cetera. And so I started training a couple of kids, a couple of kids turned to, uh, you know, 20 kids, 20 kids turned to like 50 kids, 50 kids turned to 100 kids. So I started getting all of these kids, all of these kids. So I was like, you know what, maybe this is, maybe this is my calling. You know, maybe this is why soccer was taken away from me as a player, for me to still be able to get back and help development because, you know, we all know, and I'm very, you know, you know, outspoken on social media. I care a lot about soccer in our country, and I want to see it get better, but I think it's going to take players that have played at the highest level to come back and work with the kids at the grassroots, and then that's how I got involved. That's how I got started, by training kids. And I take it you enjoyed it. And I absolutely love it. Uh, I love it, man. There's so many... There's so many talented kids here, um, and uh, we all know it's, it's about giving them the right environment. You know, in my, my time over in Europe, I had a chance, you know, in between sessions, hanging around uh, the pitch over in, uh, you know, New Malden, where I was playing before them, and seeing how the, how the younger, you know, kids were training. They were doing the exact same curriculum that, that our first team was doing. Our trainings were all designed the same way our trainings were, and, you know, just watching these little kids pass the ball about, about on the pitch and, and, and how crisp their passes was and how technically sound they were. Um, you know, for me to have 
taste it, what playing in Europe is like and what those environments are. That's all I'm trying to give these kids at a younger age. I always say, if you're good enough, right, I'm going to train you, you know, and give you a real professional environment where it requires standards, uh, you know, accountability and good quality all the time. And, you know, that's what I, you know, pretty much created, you know, giving these kids at a young age a real professional environment, what it looks like to train like a pro every day in the mentality and mindset of, you know, having, you know, when you're in an environment like that. So how did you get connected to Christian Pulisic? Man, it's it, it's crazy, you know, and still to this day, it's like I keep telling myself, man, like, why? Like, why would he choose me? Why would he choose me? So I always tell kids, and, you know, um, you know, the same mentality I had as a player is the same mentality I have now is like a, you know, a developer or a mentor of the game. Um, you know, I want to be the best. And in order, you know, being, being the best is outworking everyone. And not only outworking everyone is, you know, completely believing in everything that you're doing, it's the right way and blocking out all of the noise because we all know there's going to be people that say, oh, he's not doing the right thing. Well, don't train with him. His trainings are contradicting to what we're doing. He's not training the kids the right way. So I, I took I took all the things that I had going for myself that, 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 would, that, that gave me leverage over anyone else that was training or any other club, and it's my experience of playing at the highest level. I say, okay, I have all of this experience. I have all of this knowledge. How can I give these kids the right environment uh, where, where it's not lying to them? You know, it's real. I don't got to worry about playing time. It's, it's pure development. And my winning is making the kids better, and my, and, and my losses are kids not getting better. And so just doing everything right by – by the game and not lying to kids and, and, and having a real, real environment and taking my experience and knowledge, he would just comment on certain videos that I would post about how well of a good job I was doing with the younger kids. And then after last season, he basically sent me a DM, uh, you know, on social media, on Instagram and said, Hey, I love what you're doing. Uh, I'm going to take some time off in the off season. I love to fly into Orlando um, and get some working with you for about, you know, four or five days. I said, are you kidding me, man? I was like, I'd love to, I'd love to do that, you know. And uh, he's like, yeah. He's like, once I get the dates uh, together, I can use the exact dates. He asked me what hotels were close to the training facility where I train. And uh, we, we just made it we made it work, man. And he came here, and, and we got five days in of uh, doing uh, uh, double days, and it, was, and it was amazing, man. It was an unbelievable experience. So had you met him before? Had you played with him before? Or did you guys just sort of meet over social media? Met him before, but he was a younger kid uh, in in residency. So when I was with the national team, he was a younger kid. And they had a January camp, and the national team had a January camp in in California. And uh, the boys had eaten lunch with us one day, and you know, you need so many, you know, young players, and he happened to be sitting at the table on that national team with me, and we're all talking, and then, you you know, fast forward, you know, however many years it was, you know, now, you know, this young boy turned superstar, now I'm training, you know, and so, like I said earlier, the soccer was fall, better play with him, better have a conver- real conversation with him, him and I, basically, uh, we met over social media, standpoint, from a soccer IQ standpoint, 
And uh, it was just, again, humbling, a humble experience for me. So what did you see about Polisic while working up close with him that stood out to you? Everything. Uh, he's so detailed. Uh, his, his touch and tight spaces, um, you know, back foot across, across the body. You know, his, his movement off the ball, you know, and, and, and you know, in front of goal, just, just clinical. Uh, you know, his ability to, you know, he's so agile how he can receive and shift his body weight and lose a defender and get a shot off. Uh, it, it was just, it, it was just mind blowing in, in person. I'm talking about every rep, you know, it was either side lighting or top corner. Um, and you know, just how much of a perfectionist he just wants to be. You know, we, 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 we do a lot of repetitions and kind of goals where it consisted of, you know, combining, you know, opening the body up, receiving, you know, you know, creating space off the dribble, getting shots off coming in from left to right, right to left, because one of the big reasons was because he got switched on the right side, so he was coming in right to left a lot, opposed to in the beginning where he was playing left out on the wing, coming in on his right side. So we're doing different variations. Yep. You know, moving off the ball, and when you get into those pockets, getting turned, and how to unbalance the fitters and get shots off now coming on to his left foot, his weaker foot. And so I designed the bunch of material up, and, uh, you know, you know, we put it out. You know, out there, and, and he loved it. You know, and it's something that he's considering doing. You know, every offseason now. But it was just how much of a student he is of the game, how much he wants to, you know, be one of the best players in the world. And you know, what says a lot about him is Eddie Johnson. Who's Eddie Johnson? You know, this is you know this formal, you know, U.S. men's national team player. You know, um, you know that never played Champions League, but but it's something about what I'm doing for this kid that trained and in a Borussia Dortmund environment, week in and week out, the play Champions League, the place, you know, a high level, flew all the way to Florida just to come train with me. So for me, I started saying, man, you know, man, you know, sometimes I got to, you know, really pat myself on the back and, and what I'm doing, you know, is it's really, really, really good because what I learned in youth soccer, you know, with training kids, and this is the sad part, Grant, and I want to put it out there, what I do, I'm in no competition with any other of these clubs here in Florida. Yet and still, these clubs still stop players from training with me. Clubs will say, if you're training with Eddie Johnson, like, we'll punish your kids or your kids will be kicked off the team. Whoa. That's wild. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, it's, and, and the reason for that being is because a lot of the things that I do and a lot of my knowledge and experience these club coaches don't have, and I'm giving these kids real things, and it's going to wake the parents up, right? And it's going to show the parents a lot of what these other coaches are doing in their day-to-day, weekend, and without environment, because they're going to see what I'm doing, and then see what they're doing. What I'm doing will always be better, because again, I can offer them real experience. A lot of coaches and a lot of directors, they can't, they can't train a kid to be a pro because they've never been a pro. And it's something that I do and I don't take for granted, you know. And so so that's one of the things I don't like a lot about it because if anything, I'm trying to help these kids get better. And the better the kids get, the better the club looks, you know. And, and, and uh, you know, I wish that can get better. But, um, but uh, no, it's been it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, a really, 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 really humbling for me. And, uh, you know, if you ask me about the game now, I know more about the game now working with players and helping young players get better at prison than I was actually playing. 
No, oh, that's interesting. It's also reflective a little bit your experience of what we hear about the cutthroat nature of youth development and youth sports, not just soccer in the United States these days. Um, are you also working on your coaching licenses at this point? Okay, so I knew that question was going to come, and that's something I've got to do. I've been talking back and forth with Jermaine Jones, and I know he's gotten his license. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm happy for him. You know, he's he loves the game just like I love the game. Uh, he loves the you know you know the, the, he cares for the development in this country, uh, and he knows it's going to take for ex players like ourselves that got a ton of experience back in really you know you know shift the movement and youth development and uh it's something i gotta get uh but you know i'm, I'm kind of comfortable right now training and i know coaching and training are two two completely different concepts but the reason why i train right now is because i rather work with a small group of kids mm. sometimes four to six in a group or eight that's the largest group i go and it's so it's so it's so consistent and it flows so much more and it's and it's not stagnant. We're in we're in we're in youth development when you take a team, you'll probably have like six or seven players on a team that really want it, but then the other other eleven, twelve players they don't really want it for grouping off. So then it, it then it then it hurts the players that really want it. You know, if it comes to like doing passing sequences where not everyone's involved. Um and so that's why and that's why I haven't really started coaching yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll start getting my coaching license once I start to get like a young team, like a U10 team. Mm-hmm. That way, I can mold the team. I can I can I can teach the kid all the right habits so they're not developing bad habits. Um, because once they start to like 14, 15, 16, they've already developed habits that can't change. You know, so I'm gonna get into coaching, but right now I'm gonna take the time, take more of my time with it. Um, but uh, right now, I'm really enjoying just developing. I think I can make a better impact in small groups versus big, big groups right now. It's 2018 now. Are you surprised that American soccer still hasn't tapped into the African-American community that much for talent? Yeah, I'm very surprised. And if you look at the, you know, you look at the caliber players that were African-American, uh, uh, Eddie Pope, uh, you think of like guys like you know myself, Demarcus Beasley, Josie Altidore, uh, you know, you know uh, the young kids now, Wayne, um, Adams, you know, older Tony Sanders, the Tony Sanders back in the uh, does Kobe Jones count? I'm kidding, Kobe Jones, <laughs> Kobe Jones, um, you know, those are some Edson Buttle, Gucci Gangueu, those are some those those all of those players had wonderful careers and. And all come from, you know, of African American descent, you know, and, and and I think, you know, the careers that we all have, if we if we told our stories more, if we got more of our stories out there, and we we, we, we put them back to those, you know, humble environments, I think it'll draw the attention more to African American uh, players. But I don't think I don't think we put our stories out there enough. I don't think we promote uh, the African American players. Uh, uh, enough, you know, uh, because given the fact that it's a suburban sport, um, you know, a lot of the African Americans, and I'll speak, uh, you know, upon us African Americans, you know, the first thing they say growing up when I played soccer, I mean, oh, that's a white sport, you mm-hmm. know, but if you look, if you look at some of the African American players that have had successful 
careers and have earned good livings, right? You know, and we put our stories out there more than it'll draw their attention to, you know, uh, you know, more African-American. And that's where the hungry kids are. Now, those are the kids that, that want a way out. You know, those are some of the kids that just don't want to, you know, play basketball or don't just want to play baseball or football, right? But if you go and put our stories out there and show, like, look, you can go play this, you can go travel the world, you can go play in a World Cup, you can go live in different countries, you can go experience different ethnicities, you know, you can get a whole you know, geograph- you know, geographical, you know, um, experience of, you know, what the rest of the world looks like just playing soccer with saying that set yourself up financially where you can, you know, support the people in your family. But I think it's going to take putting our stories out there more and going into these humble environments, right, and discovering these, you know, not only just African-American, but, you know, these, you know, Mexican kids, these Brazilian kids, these Colombian kids, these these white kids that grow up in, you know, inner, inner cities or, or, or humble environments, you know, because there's a lot of talent there, but a lot of those kids don't have the funding to be able to play soccer because we all know, Grant, it's a very, very expensive sport, you know, when it comes to playing. Yeah, I mean, it's a situation where, I mean, you very clearly were not from the suburbs yourself. Your story was you were right. from the inner city in Florida. and. Right. What was that story about how you chose soccer? How did you get access to it to be able to even make the decision? It's crazy. My friends had played a year before me, and I was always a basketball, football player. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be, if I was going to play football, I wanted to be Emmitt Smith or Deion Sanders or Jerry Rice. If I was playing basketball, I wanted to be Michael Jordan or Vince Carter. Um, It was my friends. I was walking home, and and the story so repetitive, but long story short, I was walking home one day on a sunny day in the inner city with my mom, and I see a bunch of my friends running behind this little truck, and, and, and the truck pulls over, and out comes the truck. There's this little small white guy. He had a bunch of forms in his, in, his, in, his, in, his, in his hand, and he was giving them to my friends. And I ran over and asked them what they were doing. They said, we're signing up for soccer. I said, soccer. And then they go, yeah, soccer for mom. Can I sign up? Coach asked me how old I was. I said, I was nine. I said, I'm nine. He goes, well, you got to be at least 11. I was like, oh, man. He's like, you know what? I'll go to the city, uh, see if I can get it approved. You know, because physically, you're just as big as all these 11 years old, right? See if they come back and say. So the city came back and they cleared me. They said I was, I, was, I was old enough to play. And so I played. And when I played, I wasn't really playing it because I loved it. I played it because my friends were playing it. And it was just recreational soccer and no skill required or whatever. It was that same year, that same school year, that following summer. My mom would put us in a summer camp program. Now, in the summer camp program, you go on field trips in the summer. It's kind of like a daycare while your mom's working. While my mom's working, we're there. We're being supervised. We're not getting in trouble. We're not back home being, being you know, not being parented while my mom was working or unsupervised. But we're in a good setting where we're around good people, good kids. And in my summer camp, I met these three white kids and they played soccer. And so before the end of the summer, I became really good friends with these kids. And so they said, you should come try out for our soccer team. I came and tried out for the soccer team and I made it. Mm-hmm. And when I made it, the rest is pretty much history. You know, um, started just, you know, recreational and different and competitive. I realized that because the players were a lot better. There was a lot of at home. I run a basketball, all the soccer balls, I run a basketball, just trying to improve my touch, touching the ball, put the basketball, trying to improve my touch. The only reason I use a basketball is because the bigger the ball is, the easier to control. 
Mm. And, uh, you know, things were starting happening easy for me. So, you know, um, I just think that God's timing, uh, the, the right people along the way, you know, you know, came into my life and uh, introduced me into a sport that, you know, pretty much changed my life and my family's life. Yeah, it's an amazing story. And I, I just wish the system created more opportunities here in America for that type they of access. They should be telling that story, man. <laughs> I hear you. telling that story because my story is different than everyone else's. Josie's different. Nation, he's Caribbean, soccer roots. You know, I'm a real African-American inner-city kid, government housing. You know, like, it doesn't get any, like, my story is the same as a basketball player or a football player. Like, I've been around the drugs. I've been around home invasion. All the stuff you see that goes on TV, I grew up in that. Like, I, I, I made it away from all of that stuff. And that's what I'm saying. If they take stories like that and they go back and they, 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 they get someone like me, if I'm involved with U.S. South, out there and, and go around the country and tell my story and go to these YMCA. Uh, uh, and boys and girls clubs and go and tell my story. That'll, that'll inspire kids that want to go down that path. You know, but we're not telling those stories or we're not going in those environments and that's why we're not going to get our best athletes because our best athletes, they all play football, they all play basketball and where they come from, they all come from the inner city. You ended your playing career before you wanted to due to your health situation. What exactly was the heart condition that you had? It's called HCM. It's called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And what it is, it's, a, it's, it's basically like an enlarged heart, an inflamed heart, due to excessive force. So like over a period of time, the more I was playing, the bigger the muscle was getting in the heart. The bigger the muscle, it blocks blood flow in and out of the heart. It's hard for the heart to pump blood in and out. And then what happens is that's when the your body goes into cardiac arrest. Fabrice Mwamba, he had the same card condition. The kid that died, the player that died at Bowling and they brought him back alive. Mm -hmm. So I have the same condition as him. Only thing is they caught mine in the developmental stages of it. And so a lot of times the condition can be sim symptomatic, like like there's no there's no symptoms. Some people get symptoms, so it's hard to catch. Sometimes it's misdiagnosed too as well. Some people think it's a heart murmur. Uh, sometimes it's not. Some people think it's in a, a large heart. And sometimes the reason why people think it's in a large heart is because an average heart is in between 8 and 12 millimeters, right? And in large heart, which is an athlete's heart, is in the, is in the size of 12 to 15 millimeters. My heart, when they saw mine, was at 16, almost 17 millimeters. It was outside the, 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 the range of an athlete's heart. And so that, that was a concern. And so what they do is, is they want you to do detraining to see if the muscle shrinks in size and so when I did the detraining it's all it's a process it's like a three to four month process where you do no activity no intensity just rest for three four months and see if the heart shrinks muscle shrinks in size and then mine only went down to a millimeter and so I was still out of that athlete's heart range and then that's when they forced me to retire and make the decision so um I don't need surgeries or anything uh I gotta get my annual checkups uh every three to three months um, but uh, I can completely have a normal life activity and moving around is good for the condition. Mm -hmm. uh, just not 
overexerting myself. I just can't overexert myself. No spreading, no running crazy, but actually jogging for like miles and stuff at a good, you know, pace is good for the condition. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Do you feel like that was the right decision to stop playing, or do you wish that you had been allowed, knowing the situation, to be able to continue playing? If you'd asked me this three years ago, I'd say I, I wish I could have signed some form, but like you know what, I'm on the borderline. I can borderline play, but I borderline can't play. That's kind of how it was. Mm -hmm. So I wish I could have signed something to say I'm fully aware of what. Uh, you know, my condition is uh, I take full responsibility if something happened. I wish I could have signed something like that because, you know, God let me play for 15 years and nothing never happened to me. I was always fit. I played all over the, played over the, all around the world. I played at a high level, never had any feigning symptoms, never had any disease. Fit. I was always fit. Um, uh, but if I go back and I look at the decision, I think it was the right decision because I think now what I'm doing right now I'm impacting and I'm still involved with the game more and I make more of an impact than I, than I was when I was playing, you know, now developing and actually being with players, you know, you know, in training and in person, I'm making more of an impact right now. I'm giving back to the game a lot more than I'm doing right now than when I was playing. So three years ago, I'd say, yeah, I wish I could have been playing, but you know, I've worked my butt off these lives you know, three years to kind of like sit back and figure out what it was I wanted to do as far as staying in the, involved in the game. And man, I, I can't be any happier where I am right now and, and you know, what I get to do. And I still get to work with pro players and I still get to work with young players and I get to, you know, still be around the game and, uh, you know, still get back to the game and still make a positive impact. So I, I think the decision is right in the end. Okay. That's interesting. I, when you look back on your playing career, Eddie, uh, you played in the 2006 World Cup for the United States. You were part of three different World Cup qualifying cycles, scored the goal that sent the U.S. to World Cup 2014 against Mexico, didn't end up getting on that World Cup team in the end. But, you know, you had a long career um, that started at a young age, scored a lot of goals. When you look back on your playing career, what do you think about it? I wish... When I look back on my career, I wish I knew how to play. I knew. I wish I knew how to play the game. Play the game. Huh. Um, I, what I mean by play the game is, you know, my 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 environment and my surrounding always taught me how to stand up for myself. Sometimes, sometimes in, in this game in soccer, it's completely different. When you stand up for yourself, sometimes you get misperce misperceived to be, oh, he's a problem in the locker room. Oh, he's not coachable. Blah 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 blah. But you see all this stuff on on on, sport, on, on ESPN. Uh, breaking news: such and such just got a DUI. Such and such just got you know caught uh, failed a drug test. Or such and such just uh, got an altercation outside of the club. But such and such is still on that team, still signed uh, as a as a franchise player, getting millions of dollars. But in soccer, you know, being you know overly emotional, being too emotional, and 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 sometimes, and sometimes coaches don't get to, don't want to get to know players and you know where they come from and how they can you know you know long story and soccer coaches don't get to know players and where they come from that are really talented and trying to help those players. They're so quick to say product product of this environment and you know what 
don't want him. You know, and that's what I'm saying. I wish coaches in soccer, because they do it in football, they do it in basketball. I wish coaches learn who their players are more, where they come from, you know, what's their family history, you know, you know what, what they had to do to get to where they are, and then they'll build a better relationship. Because you know, and I don't know if you're a kid, the better relationship you build with your players, better, the, the, better, uh, the better response you get from them on the field, the, better, the more they buy into your, your system and what they're doing. And so when I say that, I wish I knew how to play the game. You know, my environment taught me how to always stand up for myself. If I didn't like something, I always voiced my opinion. And part of my environment, you know, how I grew up, is I don't want to go back to being around kids that I grew up with that go drugs, right? And every time I came to training and saw Ziggy and Mariah the Riches, he said, every time Eddie trains, he's got his full emotional capacity. That means every time I step on the field and I train, I only know how to train one way, and that's to be the best on the field. And whatever that means, if I got to be physical, if I got to be creative, if I got to score goals, whatever we're doing, I'm going to be the best at it. And if we're scrimmaging, right, my teammates on the field can quickly become an enemy if we're scrimmaging and we're playing. And so that mentality got me to where I am throughout my entire career, right? And the coaches that knew me and I had great relationships with, I always responded with them. Kurt Anonco, right? Mm. Bruce Arena, uh, Jurgen Klinsman. Um, uh, ben Olsen, right? uh, Ziggy Smith, right? Mm-hmm. All of the coaches that knew me and sat me down and wanted to get to know me, I always respond well to them. All of the coaches I tra- challenged that when I would voice my opinion, they never took time to get to know me. Mm-hmm. They were so quick to judge me. And, and we missed out on so much. There's nowhere in the hell I shouldn't have 100 caps. I can have 100 caps in my career. Mm-hmm. I, I ended with 63, uh, 60-some caps. I should have had 100 caps in my career from when I first started. To, and I should have, and, but you know why? And I'm not saying no names, but those coaches didn't want to get to know me. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to get to know me. I see, I see players now getting called into camps that aren't even playing in Europe regularly. But when I was in Europe and I wasn't playing regularly, I wasn't getting called into camps. You know, and so that's what I'm saying. If I knew how to play the game, I wish I could have played the game more. Mm-hmm. But again, if I knew how to, play, if I tried to play the game, then I wasn't being who I am. Mm-hmm. And being who I am, if being who I am let me play for 15 years, Grant, man, then I'll have no regrets in soccer. I have zero regrets because I was part of, I was part of three World Cup cycles. Mm-hmm. I should have played in two for sure. Mm-hmm. 2010, I wasn't fully fit, right? I wasn't informed. Two strikers were informed. Bottle was informed. Hercules from Gomez was informed. I still like me over Fendi. Uh, no, no disrespect to family, but after my experience, and I was over in Greece and I was scoring goals again. Mm-hmm. Bob could have took me, but I definitely should have went in 2014 to Brazil. I should have definitely went to that World Cup. I should have went to that World Cup. Yeah, no, nah, man, I was covering all of that World Cup qualifying cycle. You were a huge part of it. I remember covering the 2013 yeah. Gold Cup when uh, Gus Johnson was calling the Demolition Man. Yeah. Uh, I remember visiting you in Greece in 2010. Uh, when yeah, you were you and yeah. when you and Freddie Adu were at Aris, Freddie, Freddie, yeah, Freddie, <laughs> man, yeah, that was crazy. Uh, but so, just to, whoever thought him would end up in the same team, that's trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so just a couple more questions. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, 
I know that you were tight with several of your teammates over the years, including guys like Clint Dempsey. Who have you kept in touch with the most from your playing days? Who I kept in touch with the most from my playing days uh, would probably be uh, Steve Zakawani. <laughs> yeah, how's he doing? I know you. Steve Zakawani, him and I. So when I when I played in in Seattle, him and I became really really close. But I was not all the time with him because he was coming back with injury. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we always talk about my experience in Europe, him being from London. Mm-hmm. Um, him and I developed a really good relationship. That's till this day. That's probably my best friend in in, in in life in general. Steve Zakawani. I go to his annual charity, uh, Kingdom Hope. Uh, charity uh, soccer matches every year where he raises money and he funds uh, scholarships and stuff. Um, he, he's my best friend to this day. So I, I talk with him weekly. Um, so I, out of anyone in my playing career I, who I keep in touch with the most is Steve Zakawani. One of, the, one of the nicest guys in the soccer community. Big fan, uh, Steve. One of the nicest guys, yeah. 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 And I guess just to wind up, I would ask you, uh, earlier when we were talking, you mentioned that you might be interested in coaching a U10 team to start. Do you right. do you want to coach an older team at some point, or would you prefer doing skills development work? I want to get into professional coaching one day. And right now, honestly, Grant, I'm just, I'm just pacing myself. And when the, and when the, when the time comes, right, it, it, I... I want to be ready. I don't want to jump into something, you know, and we all know how our perceptions are out there, right? You know, I'm, I'm building on my legacy right now. I'm 15 years, uh, 15 years professionally. I gave a lot back to this game. I don't have any regrets in my career. I don't have any regrets in my career. Um, I gave this game everything I can give it. Um, I'm doing a, a, a nice thing right now. I'm doing a nice thing right now as far as, what what I'm doing and giving back to the game and it, and it's going really really well. Uh, so when the right time uh, comes and when I'm prepared, uh, I'll get into coaching. But before I get into coaching, I would want to coach a youth team first and and develop players and mold players uh, and and create a certain environment and play a certain style of soccer um, and, and then kind of take it from there. You know, I don't want to jump into it. I'm still young, I'm 34 years old. Uh, I got a lot learning to do. Uh, but right now I'm on a I'm on a I'm on a good 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 uh, path uh, and, and I'm happy and, and I'm healthy and uh, I'm, being, I'm still being able to, uh, you know, give back to the game that, you know, that gave me so much, you know, and so I can't be any happier. Eddie Johnson, it is a pleasure to reconnect and talk to you. Good luck with everything you're doing. All right. Thank you so much, Frank. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Eddie Johnson as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on SI.TV, Amazon Channels, and Fubo TV. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. 
Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.